This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, P.K. Subban's dad and his campaign to ban sports betting ads. High school students try their hand at firefighting the modern library and balancing technology with equality. But first... The pandemic did some real damage to people's health, happiness, their income, their investments, particularly the stock market and real estate. Good news, promising news from RBC last week. Their headline read, Game On for Canada's Housing Market. And if you dug a little deeper, this was the nugget that summed it all up. Spring 2023 increasingly looks like the turnaround point for Canada's housing market after a year-long slump. Assistant Chief Economist Robert Hogue was the author of this encouraging real estate report. He joins us now on the feed. Welcome to the show, Robert. Great to hear from you and have you with us. Well, thank you for the invitation. A couple of nuggets out of the report. A housing correction that you, RBC, once called historic appears to have run its course. And sellers are now back in the driver's seat in most major markets. How did you get that information? How did you come to that conclusion? Well, especially the the statistics that we got over the last uh, couple months, so for the month of March, month of April, have started to look uh, stronger in terms of home resale activity, but also, and I would add almost surprisingly, also in terms of prices, especially in the month of April, uh, we saw home prices start to rise in many parts of Canada, including in Ontario and GTA. Uh, which is a little bit earlier than we, we had sort of expected. We thought that the bottom for prices would take place a little bit later on, uh, maybe in the summer, maybe early fall. But it looks like demand supply condition, uh, conditions are tightening a little bit quicker than we expected, and we're now re- already starting to see uh, prices uh, going up. And where do you think this confidence on the part of the buyer and the seller has come from? Well, we suspect that... Um, you know, the fact that the Bank of Canada has paused its interest rate uh, uh, high campaign here uh, might have been the signal for many buyers that hadn't moved to the sideline while the market was, was correcting. And uh, they probably were kind of market timers and were trying to, 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 to figure out when was the optimal time to jump back into the market. And it, it may have been the case that they were waiting for the Bank of Canada to be done raising interest rate for them to start uh, going uh, back in and anticipating that maybe prices uh, would, uh, would reach a bottom at that point. So we figured that this is you know, maybe the, 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 the signal from the Bank of Canada having paused might, might be the, the trigger here. So April was a pivotal month, it seems. Home sales across Canada rose 11.3% month over month in April. Why did April become such a determining factor in the future of our real estate market? Well, I mean, we still have to be fairly, you know, prudent. I mean, it's it's only one month. Maybe it might have started uh, in in March. Uh, But so so I think, but but it did kind of correspond to when we expected the, the trough in the market to take place in terms of activity. So, we were looking for signs for a number of months to see uh, if if a uh, home resale will start to pick up. Now the uh, April seems to have confirmed that, and it looks now that the psychology of market is shifting more. Now that the prices are also starting to rise, it may you know bring back into the market those uh, buyers that have moved to the sidelines 
uh, uh, waiting for the market to to settle down. So so in that sense, April might be the, the turning point. Now, <clears throat> uh, now whether it's it's going to be the start of a new run up in activity and prices, we're still not convinced about that. And, and the fact that you know, when you're reaching bottom does not necessarily mean that uh, things are going to go up very quickly thereafter. Uh, our thesis had been that once we reached the bottom, activity will start to recover, but only slowly until interest rates start to decline, which we think is more of a 2024 story. Uh, and uh, so we're going to stick with that story until we're proving <laughs> we're, we're proven otherwise here. So we talk about sales, we talk about prices, and let's go there now. Uh, Toronto prices rose 2.4% to an average of 1.1 million, but I found this astonishing. Hamilton, prices were up 5.4% and 3.9% in Kitchener-Waterloo. To what do you attribute those bigger uh, uh, bounds when it comes to prices in those smaller markets? Right, and just to be specific here, this this is a month-to-month change in in prices. When you compare it to a year ago, prices are still lower than they were back then. And um, it, it, it's a, a quicker. Not only the answer to your question is is likely to a quicker tightening in demand supply conditions. So basically, demand is is, is coming uh, back up now, but buyers are coming back into the market, whereas sellers are still. Hesitant. Now we've seen a few sellers make their move. Now new listings have gone up, but not nearly as as much as as demand uh, has increased in in recent months. So it, it might it, it it is those kind of dynamics that are you know, probably pushing prices up. Now for the smaller markets, by by that I mean like uh, 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 Hamilton, for example, and, and other Ontario markets, other than than the GTA. Uh, those markets can move a lot more. They're much, they tend to be much more volatile. They're not quite as deep as, as the G- GTA market, and also had corrected quite significantly in the prior prior years. So, so there might be. We, we should not necessarily extrapolate from what we saw in April uh, that uh, things are going to continue basically, you know, surging. Uh, uh, prices are, will continue surging over the coming months. It, it could be. Uh, just like uh, a, a short kind of a one-off. I hope not. <laughs> we're all hoping that this is a, a pattern for the future. I want to stick with Hamilton for a minute. Resales were up in Hamilton, a whopping 18%, even in the face of a decline in homes listed for sale. What does that tell you? Well, it tells us that, uh, you know, there's still a lot of demand out there, despite the fact that affordability has deteriorated significantly over the last 12 to 18 months, that there's still a lot of buyers out there. They may be kind of millennials that had you know, felt like they they were being priced out earlier, and uh, they've you know, worked on their you know, larger down payments, and maybe now they're now ready to make their way. There's also probably quite a few uh, investors out there uh, that were trying to be very strategic about when to re-enter the market and trying to catch it at at its bottom, uh, so that there's a very and a, a lower odds of further price declines. Uh, so um, it, it's probably a combination of those factors that now uh, with the the, the uh, uh, expectations of the Bank of Canada is. is either completely done with raising interest rate or mostly done with interest rate, 
uh, that uh, all those factors kind of conspired for for a market to start to start to turning up again. Robert, Canada's household debt. Uh, this was announced earlier in the week. It, it is the highest in the G7, and a lot of that has to do with mortgages. How does that factor into the forecast for our housing market in Canada? Well, it, it is a big deal, especially you know when you come when you consider for first-time home buyers who need to get into the market uh, and have to pay you know sky-high prices and therefore sky-high uh, uh, mortgages. And so they, the decision to become an owner effectively is a decision to carry a, you know, a very heavy debt burden for many, many years. So the the risk of uh, Canada being uh, Canadian households being more indebted than than their peers in other countries is that we're a lot more vulnerable uh, to and some kind of shock, either further rise in interest rates, or it could be uh, no, a certain shock in the in the um, in the economy with a, a loss of jobs, for example. And so, so Canadians are probably have have a no less room to maneuver under uh, under challenging circumstances, and so so it is a, a I would argue more of a kind of, especially macroeconomic risk that the higher debt levels in Canada, household debt level means that uh, no we we it would may not take that much uh, to uh, cause uh, the consumers to spend a lot less if the uh, if, if circumstances change. RBC, about six months ago in December of 2022, has said that the GTA had become a buyer's market. Now you are saying that sellers are now back in the driver's seat. So how does so much change in a matter of just six months? Right, and this is not necessarily untypical of the housing market. It can swing significantly one way or another. And and the prior uh, two years during the the, the pandemic uh, were an example of a market heating up very rapidly and to lev- never be never before seen level, uh, and uh, so uh, with the very l- low inventories still at this point in the game, and uh, few sellers coming into the market now that things are picking up, uh, you know it's it's a market that's heating up. Uh, and uh, the fact that prices are rising tells you that uh, the uh, that the huge swing in demand conditions that went to uh, to uh, uh, buyers' favor in the the prior the previous year is now kind of swinging back towards uh, towards sellers. Now, not all the way to where it was uh, uh, before the the market correction, but it's getting you know surprisingly close. How important is the fact that rents are sky high in so many urban settings, even in small towns in Ontario, really right across the country? Rents are higher than I have ever seen them, and I've been around for a while. Does that tend to push more people into the housing market, into becoming homeowners? Uh, I I would see it the other way around. Uh, Mm -hmm. I would see the fact that... uh, uh, people can't really buy or become an owner or at least on the same life stage as uh, maybe prior generations is uh, backing them back, keeping them in, in the rental market at a time when uh, we have a record number uh, of newcomers coming to Canada, coming to the GTA, uh, that 
typically uh, live their first a few years in in, in Canada as a tenant. Now, they, they newcomers tend to to rent in the first few years. So all this means that demand for rentals is is skyrocketing at a time when just like we don't have enough supply. We don't have enough supply of housing at large, but but particularly also. Uh, in in terms of rental supply, so so um, you know the you know, basic economics 101, we have very strong demand and supply is 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 fixed or or, or not uh, adjusting quickly enough. It, it is prices in this case rent that is uh, uh, surging, and and that's that's a really um, really bad news uh, to uh, for for uh, no, especially in younger generations. That uh, if 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 they're unable to work on a you know setting aside some money for a down payment, it's holding them back into that kind of moving up the housing ladder, uh, which has uh, historically been the case for Canadians of in prior generations. So you've established the fact that April was a bit of a turnaround month when it comes to Canada's housing market, real estate market. We are nearing the end of May. In early June, the Bank of Canada is poised to make its its next decision. How, what are we looking at in terms of the future? I, I know that it's one thing to look back at statistics and determine where we could be going, but how do you then forecast the future, or are you able to? Right. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, something that economists have, have been uh, have been doing or, or challenged with uh, uh, no, for, forever because we're being asked to to to, uh, to talk about the future. Uh, and uh, no, at, at this point, we still think that the Bank of Canada is, is largely done with with interest rates. Uh, even though the uh, the report, the inflation report last week, uh, is uh, you know uh, taken us a, a little bit by by surprise. We didn't you know expect that inflation would tick higher in uh, in April. Uh, but no, the the, the the degree to which interest rates have increased over the past now 14 months is 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 you know, a big pill, big tough pill to swallow for uh, for the economy. So so we do expect that the economy is going to slow down and therefore also will continue to drive inflation down. And uh, but in a, you know what will also come out of this is uh, a fairly mild recession. We do expect that Canada's economy to uh, fall into a recession over the middle part of this year. So basically starting about now and lasting uh, two quarters. And uh, so uh, and given the, weak, the weakening uh, economy, we do expect that the Bank of Canada will, will stay on now on, on the sideline. Uh, for now, but but uh, obviously, if if inflation is not behaving the the way we or the Bank of Canada is is expecting, uh, no, there could be further hikes in the parts of uh, uh, of the Bank of Canada, and therefore we could see what appears to be a, a, a turnaround in the housing market. We might see another leg down if if interest rates uh, were to uh, resume uh, their upward tra- trajectory. Uh, so at this point, there's still a lot of uncertainty. Uh, but uh, uh, our base case remains that the, the housing market is kind of now in recovery mode, uh, probably a slow recovery at first. Uh, but then by 2024, once the, we expected the Bank of Canada to start uh, cutting rates uh, at that time, 
uh, we might see the uh, home resale activity pick up uh, more and, and we might see prices uh, pick up a bit more as well. Got to thank you so much for your time, Robert Hogue, Assistant Chief Economist, RBC. Really great to hear from you, and it sounds like we can be cautiously optimistic about our housing market. Yeah, yes, indeed. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> thank you, Robert. And for all things real estate from A to Z, go to OTM On the Market with Asif Khan and Tina Cortez, Saturdays at 11 o'clock, only on 105.9 The Region. Sports betting is all the rage these days, but not necessarily to the liking of everyone. Jim Lang is next with famous hockey dad Carl Subban and why he's against the advertising and promotion of sports betting. Well, by now, everyone knows the name Carl Subban because he's the father to three amazing NHLers, PK, Malcolm, and Jordan, and a a longtime educator, principal, and a massive hockey fan like you and I. And like a lot of Canadians, he is troubled by there's just so many gambling ads during Hockey Night Canada and sports broadcasts, and he wants to do something about it, and he joins us on the feed. Carl, how are you? Well, I'm well, I'm well, I'm well, except for this knee once in a while that tries to slow me down, but I'm... (laughs) I still have a lot of get up and go in me. <laughs> I, 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 I I saw what you had to say the other day about all the gambling ads and sports, and it's something my friends and all of us at our age group, guys I still play hockey with, we're doing the same thing. Like, wow, there, I mean, there's not just one or two. It just seems like it's nonstop <laughs> blitz of gambling ads. Yeah, and you know, and, and, and most Canadians, 48% of Canadians agree that the volume of advertising is excessive and needs to be cut back. So... So we have a lot of company. <laughs> so I, I know in this country, as a broadcaster, we have a lot of restrictions about uh, ads for beer and alcohol, it, very tight restrictions <laughs> about nicotine and uh, tobacco. I, I'm just, why is there no restrictions for uh, gambling ads and sports gambling ads in Canada? Well, because um, we haven't said enough. And, 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 and so that's why, uh, you know, the, the uh, campaign for... For ban ads for gambling, we're working, um, you know, to, to restrict the volume and 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 we're bringing a lot of attention and awareness um, to this potential issue. Um, and and so with awareness, I think that you're going to start seeing uh, some changes uh, coming our way in regards to the volume and and the exposure. Like, I mean, we're really concerned. I, I'm. So concerned about uh, the exposure um, that uh, young people are having uh, to gambling, especially uh, using these superstar athletes and celebrities. And that's what I wanted to bring up, Carl, because growing up, I never would have thought of seeing Guy Lafleur or Wayne Gretzky or Marilyn Mew, you name the star, in a gambling ad. It would have been impossible, unheard of. And now all the big stars are in all the ads. I know, I know, and and can you imagine? I love Ken Dryden. You yeah. know what I mean. I, I, I you know, um, you know, but you know, and and that's what's happening today. And and I think that I'm hoping that we'll correct it because, as you know, and so many parents are uh, are aware of this fact that our young people they look up to these stars and they want to be like them, and and we know that they're leaders and 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 they are influencing our young people. And, and, and so, uh, because they're leaders. And so, so we want our young people to love them and, and love them on the ice and love them on the field, whether it's football or baseball. But, 
we don't want them to love them in these gambling ads and we don't want them our young people to think that um it's okay to gamble because it's not speaking with carl suban about the proliferation of all these gambling ads and not just sporting events and canadian tv but regular shows as well and the thing that jumps out to me watching the stanley cup playoffs carl is They'll be in the middle of the game, and there's an ad screaming at you, bet now, bet now, you can bet during the game. I'm like, I just want to see what's happening. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, you know, there's something I want to bring up. You know, the Surgeon General of the U.S. released a public advisory about the hazardous potential of social media. We know mm. what it has done, and, and we know what the impact it has had on youth and mental health. Well, the Ontario Division of Canadian Mental Health Association is calling on the, on, on the pr- province gambling regulators to ban all ads for online gambling because of the detrimental impact on vulnerable individuals. So, so we, we know that the volume is impacting negatively on people, especially those who are most vulnerable. But also, uh, I just don't like the potential harm to, to the youngest of our citizens, and those are young people. And as we know, you know, the part of the brain that's responsible for decision-making is not fully developed until they're 25. But here they are uh, in front of the TV. Uh, when they're online, they see it on the buses, they see it on billboards, these ads, promoting gambling and encouraging them to gamble. And it's not good. It's not good. You know, making money is okay, but I, we all agree that sometimes we need to work a little bit harder to make our young kids better and to give them a chance to realize their potential. And Carl, I guess my concern as well is we know the dangers of uh, alcohol and drug addiction and addiction is addiction and you can be addicted to anything, including gambling. And that could be a serious problem for people. Yeah, that's right. That's right. The American Psychiatric Association classifies addiction to gambling, a gambling disorder. You know what I mean? And, And so... I like to I like to share this Chinese proverb about if you want to know uh, about the road ahead, just ask the person coming back. And, and, and you know what? Unfortunately, we have a lot of people who are coming back or trying to uh, 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 get back uh, from a gambling addiction. And it's, it's, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. So so let's restrict these ads. Let's ban these ads. Let's stop using these celebrities and these sports athletes. And I'll tell you what, you know, when I sat with PK, Malcolm and Jordan and my daughters when they were younger, it was such a nice event to sit in front of the TV mm. and a great experience. And, 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 and we didn't need any disclaimer. Watch at your own risk. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. We didn't have to worry about the commercials. You know, you look forward to the intermissions. And now it's like every time I'm sitting there with my grandkids, and an ad comes on, I jump in front of the big screen trying to, <laughs> try to distract them. You know, it, it, you know, I've been losing weight, so I've been doing a good job trying to block them from, 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 from the messages being sent. But you know what? Uh, I think with awareness now, I think we're going to, the politicians, those people in, are in charge who can do something, are going to do something. Like, we're bringing awareness to the problem. It's either they pay attention today or they pay big time tomorrow. So reach out to your MPP, your MP, your local politicians. Let them know that this is not good, that you don't want to be bombarded with gambling ads every time you turn the TV on in Canada, and maybe something can change. Uh, Carl, uh, thank you so much for joining me and shining a light on this because you were echoing the words of a lot of people I hear, and we're talking about big-time sports and hockey fans. I think this is too much. 
it, it's way too much. But I want to say to your listeners, go to banadforgambling.ca about our, to find out more about our group and, and to get more information, see how you can get involved, and maybe you can also donate to the cause. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carl. Take care. Coming up next, the breakup of Peel Region and what it could mean for York Region. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. The month of May is just about finished, but Vaughn Mayor Stephen Del Duca's work is far from over. He won the mayor's chair about seven months ago and has been hard at it ever since, trying to run the city of Vaughn effectively, efficiently, and enthusiastically. Mayor Stephen Del Duca has kindly pressed pause on his busy weekend long enough to speak with us. Welcome to the show, Mayor Del Duca. Always so great to chat with you once a month. Well, it's my pleasure to be back with you, and thanks so much. So in between the last time and this time, some big things have happened. For instance, uh, Peel is going to be split up. Uh, could that happen to York Region, do you think? Well, look, I don't think any of us knows for sure. Um, obviously, in announcing the decision about Peel, the province did say that they're going to be taking a look at the other regions, including York Region. And um, ultimately, it is the provincial government's decision about whether they want to go down this path with other regions or not. I think from Vaughan's perspective, we are um, a large, um, sophisticated, very fast-growing community. Uh, And I think whatever decision the province makes, I can assure you that Vaughan and me as mayor, our members of council, will want to play an active role in helping to shape whatever the future looks like as collaborative partners. So... Uh, I love working with all of the others uh, that I I have the chance to work with across York Region. Uh, It's a a real treat to be in Newmarket from time to time on behalf of the City of Vaughan at York Regional Council. But we ultimately have to do what's right for the moment we're in and for the future. And so we would be active and enthusiastic partners in the decision-making process, hopefully, and get to a good result ultimately for the people of Vaughan, which is my number one job. Let's talk about the mayor of Mississauga right now, who's started the ball rolling, if you will. Uh, So Bonnie Crombie has made it clear that she is looking into going after your old job, Mayor Del Duca. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she has. And look, Bonnie's an old friend. She's someone I I enjoy serving with as a a fellow mayor. She chairs, uh, has been chairing the big, what's known as the Big City Mayor's Caucus. I'm sure... It's not an easy decision for someone in her position to make. I think um, I don't I don't say a lot of things publicly about um, about the Ontario Liberal Party, mostly because I'm in a new role and want to make sure I'm doing the very best job for the people of Vaughan. And this is a nonpartisan role, which I find very liberating, and I'm enjoying that part of it. Um, but I also think it's important to give the party space to be able to go forward and and write its next chapter. Um, what I am probably most encouraged by whether it's Bonnie or the other four or five people who are thinking of running or exploring bids to run is that it's a very good sign for the party that there's a lot of interest. It's a good sign for Ontario that there's a lot of interest from very talented people who might want to lead the Ontario Liberal Party, which does stand in pretty stark contrast to what took place uh, with some of the other parties going through leadership selection. So I think it's good news for the party. And I think for a healthy and functioning democracy, 
you want a strong government, but you also want strong opposition parties. That's so important in our parliamentary system. So I wish Bonnie all the very best. I'm sure it's not an easy decision to make, but she's a very talented person, and I'm sure she'll do what's right for her and for her own her own journey, if I can put it that way. Can we talk about what is being perceived as an increase in gun violence on the streets of Vaughan? Now, just recently, this past Wednesday, another really big incident, just down the street, actually, from our station. What are your thoughts and, and what are your plans in order to deal with the perceived increase in gun violence in Vaughan? Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's a really important question for people in the community because, and I say this as, as someone who's lived here for close to four decades now. We are going through pretty explosive growth. We have been for decades now. Um, And I think it it can be challenging for people to see as any community grows and grows rapidly, there does tend to be a change in what I'll call socioeconomic dynamics, if I I can put it that way. And and sadly, in many fast-growing communities here in the GTA and beyond, we we do see upticks in criminal activity, uh, violent activity, we are blessed in Bonn and that we have um, York Regional Police who do such an extraordinary job of keeping us safe. And when you look at the statistics, uh, I get the perceptions, but when you look at the stats, you see that York Region is uh, probably the safest or very close to the safest community of its size right across Canada. So we are, we are blessed to live in a very safe community. It's always been safe here. But there are things that we need to do in partnership with our provincial and federal governments to make sure that we don't lose that, that we don't lose that really important uh, part of what it means to be living in a city like Vaughan. That is one of the reasons that many, many weeks ago I wrote to the Prime Minister about the need for urgent bail reform. I'm really excited that the federal government now has introduced legislation, listening to the chiefs of police and the premiers and territorial leaders, and listening to mayors like myself, and taking the long overdue step of starting to reform and strengthen our bail system. And that's just one example. Uh, So we have to work together. We have to make sure that our police service is properly funded and supported. And we have to make sure that people understand we are safe, but we are going to stand together as a community to make sure that criminals know they have no place here in Vaughan. And quite frankly, as a community, if you see something, say something and use crime stoppers. If If you know something and you want police to know what's going on. Absolutely, and I find that between Crime Stoppers and YRP and our Neighborhood Watch network that we have, it is so many great women and men who step up to help keep our community safe. We just have to keep that going. Mayor Del Duca, I would like you to get your calendar out. I've got mine in front of me. I can hear it. It's the old-fashioned <laughs> calendar, and I'm going to ask for rapid I fire. Like that. Let's let's talk about all the things that are going on in Vaughn, and we'll do rapid fire so we can get everything that's exciting for the end of May and into June. So here we go. First and foremost, National Public Works Week. It wraps up this weekend. Why is it important to recognize the fine work of public works? Well, it it is so, so important to me as a resident, as mayor, as someone who's raising his family, young daughters that I have uh, in this community. Our public works staff here in Vaughan truly are second to none. They they keep us safe. Uh, when you think about our, for example, our our winter maintenance program on our roads, you think about our water safety and quality. Uh, they help keep our city beautiful. You think about our parks and our trails, and so much more that goes into that. Our community centers, uh, and the list goes on. You know, the list goes on from there. I think it's really important, and, and we recognize a National Public Works Week here in Vaughan with a series of different things that we've done. But this is not just in Vaughan. This is across Canada. It's across North America. I think, I think modern, progressive 
uh, really strong communities recognize what makes them strong. And uh, here in Vaughan, it was important for us, for example, to do the flag raising, to extend appreciation to our staff, and to make sure that our residents know this kind of stuff doesn't happen by accident. It happens because we have hundreds and hundreds of very dedicated people who step up and step forward every day in their jobs to keep us safe, to make our community beautiful, and to make sure we have a quality of life that we can be proud of, and we certainly do. June is Italian Heritage Month, and there's a special event June the 5th from 10 until 12 at Vaughan City Hall. I then fast forward to June the 7th, the Mayor's Gala, <laughs> honoring our past, yeah. building our future. I have the feeling you're paying tribute to uh, to someone we know and love. It is true. At the gala on June the 7th, which I'm really excited about, it's my first Mayor's Gala. You're right, that is the theme. I think it's really important in public life to acknowledge great leaders and to thank them for their service. These are not easy jobs that people in elected office take on, and my predecessor and dear friend Maurizio Bevilacqua served as mayor for 12 years, MP, MP before that for 22 years. Uh, so we're going to be paying a bit of tribute to him that night and saying thank you for his service. Getting together as a community, as a business community, to raise funds for the Spirit of Generosity initiative, which in turn helps support hundreds of really important not-for-profit and community organizations in Vaughan. So I'm excited. My family's coming. They're excited. It should be a really fun night. Platinum-selling singer-songwriter and Juno winner Sean Desmond is coming to town. The 29th annual Vaughn celebrates concerts in the park on June 14th. That's the launch. He's there. You will be as well. That's exciting. It is very exciting, but mostly it's exciting because I'm not going to be singing. It's going to be Sean <laughs> singing instead of me and performing. So that's good news for the people of Vaughn who come to that first <laughs> kickoff of our concerts in the park series. And then we do them in every single ward across the city. I'm, I'm definitely going to be at the kickoff, and I'm hoping to be at many of the others as well. They're so much fun, and they're such great community-building experiences. So I'm looking forward to that. I did a little deep dive, and so there are tributes. All of the the subsequent uh, events right. are after Sean Desmond. Tributes. Elvis, Elton John, Chardet, right. Whitney Houston, The Beatles, yeah. Queen, Rod Stewart, David Bowie, George Michael, and Amy Winehouse. Uh, you have it's to, awesome. you have to be there for those. Yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> and by the way, for people who want, who want to know that schedule, Vaughn.ca/concerts is where you can find all the details. <laughs> June, as we mentioned, is Italian Heritage Month. It's also Recreation and Parks Month. That is very cool. And there are some incredible parks in Vaughn. Yeah, there really are. And so, you know, just a moment ago, talking about the importance of our public works team and the work that they do, one of the things they do is, of course, maintain our extraordinary parks, parks and trails that we have in Vaughan that are very, very well used. In fact, when I get letters from school-aged kids here at the mayor's office, and I get them regularly, I would say it's the number one request that I get from younger people in Vaughan, build more parks, expand our parks. We love them. And it's understandable because they're really incredible. So, and, and the recreation services that our staff provide are, again, second to none. So I'm excited that we're rolling from National Public Works Week right into Recreation and Parks Month with some good events and, and really encouraging people in the community to take advantage of these services and these place-making venues that we have uh, in our parks. So you've been at the job now for seven, six, seven months or so. How is yeah. it fitting now? We've, we talk about this almost almost every time we meet. Uh, how is it feeling for you now? Are you getting a sense of what it is th that's required, what, what you're willing to give to the position? Yeah, look, I think I feel a lot more comfortable today with time and a bit of experience, only being seven months, but still, 
a lot more comfortable today than I did in those earliest days. Not that I was uncomfortable in the earliest days, but coming from provincial politics, there's some requirement to get accustomed to what I call the rhythms of municipal government and municipal governance. I feel really good about where we are as a city. I have to say to your listeners, Bond City Council, the 10 of us working really, really well together, working closely with our senior staff and all of our staff. I think people feel good and hopeful and optimistic, and that's exactly where I want our community to be and how I want our residents to feel. So we've got some challenges, but I look at those challenges as real opportunities, and I I think we're going to continue to not just achieve our goals, but actually exceed those goals and continue to deliver excellence for Vaughan. In conversation with Mayor Stephen Del Duca, I look forward to next month chatting with you. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Anne. Thank you. You take care. And you as well. A visit to a local library could also mean a new unexpected experience. Shaliza Backus now with the Richmond Hill branch with something for everyone. The Richmond Hill Public Library has undergone a digital makeover in a sense. Darren Solomon, CEO of the Richmond Hill Public Library, joins me now with this exciting news. Hi, Darren. Hi, Shaliza. It is definitely exciting. It is. All right. Let's start off with the website. What new features are there and how is this different from the previous design of the website? Okay. Well, if it's okay with you, I'm actually going to back it up just a little bit because, look, we launched a website and it's amazing and we launched a new brand and it's great. Before we get to the features, if it's okay, I'm just going to jump in and tell you why. Of course. Look, we have like 500,000 items in our physical collection. We have 50,000 digital resources. We have a library of things. We have all sorts of stuff going on, but a lot of people don't really know about everything that we offer. And so, you know, for us, we want to make sure that everybody in Richmond Hill knows about and takes advantage about all of the amazing things that we have. So we launched this new brand and we launched this new uh, website because we want to be more digitally relevant. You know, our old website was really outdated, to be honest. The user experience was lacking. It was hard to navigate. And so we redesigned it with direct feedback from the users and from the broader community. And it has a way simplified navigation, uh, takes on the look of our new brand, of course. We have a new website calendar so people can easily search for events. Uh, we have filters uh, that people can use. Uh, we have curated lists uh, now. So, you know, whether it's Indigenous Heritage Month, uh, Pride Month, you know, maybe we'll have a collection on the Gordon Lightfoot and Tina Turner deaths. You know, I mean, we want to be relevant to the community. And this is all just phase one of the website because there's a lot more to come. Well, that's amazing that you say that because, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't utilize the library the way that kids my age, for instance, did. You know, a lot of things are shifting to digital. And do you still think that people will be visiting the physical library and still looking at physical books? Oh, yeah. I mean, we we are not moving away from those those tangible experiences because touching and feeling and, you know, doing is such a major part of learning. And, and I have two daughters and they still much prefer a physical book to a digital book. And everybody is different uh, in that respect. But we are definitely expanding what you know, literacy means and expanding beyond books and expanding beyond the walls of our branches, you know. 
that tangible stuff also includes now things like cooking classes, right? It includes things like technology, 3D printers, podcasting equipment. We do virtual things where, you know, we have a futurist in residence who, you know, will offer classes on understanding changes in technology like AI, ChatGPT, cryptocurrency. We have experiences so people can come to the library and then take out, let's say, passes to go to museums and parks. And we offer outdoor activities as well, indigenous medicinal gardens. You know, we were at Hillcrest Mall a few weeks back, 700 people came out in a week just to do story time and crafts. And we also know that there are people who do like and only want those digital experiences. So many amazing things to dive into, and it's all integrated into each other, which I love. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> and another change that's been made is the actual logo for the Richmond Hill Public Library. And it's kind of been broken down into many significances. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, you know, when you, first of all, for us, it's more than just a logo. You know, we've been on a journey over the last couple of years to design a more modern library system that's more relevant to more people. And changing the brand is a big part of that. Um, you know, the new brand identity as a whole is more modern, it's more playful, it has a, a sophisticated but youthful color palette, really, really flexible because we can use it now in digital formats where we weren't able to use our old logo and our old identity before. We can break the logo apart into different elements and use it in different ways. And so the brand components uh, are really built from three symbols. We have flower petals on the outside uh, that really ground the library in our history because the land that we're on, the natural flora that was here, was here well before the city was even a city. And an early uh, rose industry really popped up in the city of Richmond Hill. Then Richmond Hill was actually coined the Canada's rose capital. So those flower petals are really a nod to the history. Then we have people icons that are nested in between the petals and they represent the growing and the really diverse community that's coming together and then there's a square in the middle that is the library and so that positions us as a central hub in the community where you know past and present can all converge and where people come together to connect and learn and grow and we have a new tagline which is super exciting it's called yes at the library when we talk through research anecdotes you know when we talk to a lot of people in the community about everything that we offer yes at the library is helping break free from all these preconceived notions about you know our library being like a shushing place a quiet repository for books and I love that you said that the way that Richmond Hill has developed over the years, how it's become such a hub and it's become basically a city and the communities are growing. So I'm really glad that people are going to be able to take advantage of this. So in case people don't know, what website can we go to to take advantage of all of these resources? Absolutely. It is rhpl.ca. There's, there's a lot more coming uh, throughout the year. Big thanks to come for the Richmond Hill Public Library. Darren Solomon, CEO, thank you so much for joining me. After the break, home tech and the equality debate. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region.
Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. The use of new technology in our homes has become a way of life for many, but as Glenn Perkins discovered, even with the smart fridge or robo-vacuum, the issue of equality is being raised. And the global household robot market continues to rise at a rapid rate, projected to grow from $6.78 billion in 2022 to $8.12 billion this year alone. You may be imagining a world in which the latest AI technology finally brings gender parity to traditional housework. While you may be surprised to learn that that's not the case. Keir Hansen is a equality researcher and is in the communication and cultural program at York University. She is one of the guest speakers at Congress 2023. My research that I'm presenting, house robots aren't necessarily going to create equality when it comes to the work that they're alleviating for everyone. Why is that? The three points I guess that I'm sort of talking about is that first of all there's the cost obviously so we sort of think when we think about house robots and any sort of new technology we sort of imagine it as having this utopic potential to do whatever it is that we're wanting it to do. So with house robots, we're thinking that it's going to alleviate housework for for everyone. Um, and the reality is is that women still do most of the housework that's paid or um, unpaid. So if you have a, a you hire someone or you're doing the work yourself in your house. So the reasons why house robots aren't going to create equality with that is that first of all, there's the cost. So not everyone will be able to afford a house robot. And the models now are, you know, 200 to $1,500. But the more and more advanced they get, the likelihood is that their costs are going to go up. And then also there's the ongoing um, operational needs of house robots. So there's still someone that needs to program them. There's still someone that needs to work alongside them. So these robots aren't actually going to, you know, take away the work for everyone. They're just going to sort of, be technology that's just going to sort of be in your house, but working with the same sort of logic that's already pre-existing, which is that currently women still do most of the housework around the house. And then in addition to that, there's also increasing movements to de-gender house robots. So we can think about, you might be familiar with, you know, Amazon Alexa or Google Home or Apple Siri. These are sort of these early house robots that were program to have female names and voices. And there's movement now with uh, house robots such as the OS Zenbo and the Edo, um, as well as the Google Home and the Apple Siri, I believe, now both don't have default female voices to sort of make these robots degendered or sort of neutral in their gender. And this is good, but the issue is that even though they might have a degendered voice, it, it's not necessarily going to mean that there's going to be a degendering of housework at the house or in your home. It's not actually enabling that sort of movement away from domestic work still being done mostly by women. Kia, one of the surprising findings during your research is that the programming and maintenance of house robots are being left to women. This is something that I would have thought would have been more of an interest for men. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that why why are house robots having these these movements towards degendering them? I mean, I think that that's probably coming from some sort of consciousness within the um, the industry that you know people don't want to 
have house robots that are only programmed to sound like women because that's so obvious in terms of the sort of the ways in which they're just reinforcing these beliefs about who should be doing housework. But I mean, I'm not sure if, I mean, I think that there should be more awareness of the indus- in the industry um, if this is part of their agenda to sort of help these robots be sort of marketed as things that can be truly feminist and more looking towards equality when it comes to domestic work. Yeah. And tell me about uh, Congress 2023. You're making a presentation. So Congress is, I think, the largest, one of the largest social sciences and humanities conferences that happen annually in Canada. So I'm presenting in the communications program and my panel will be looking at degendering of artificial intelligence. So we're going to have speakers from different universities across Canada, but it's a huge conference. There's a lot of different departments that are there and thousands of people attending and presenting. Kia Hansen is an equality researcher and a guest speaker at Congress 2023. Kia, thank you for being with us today. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much. Congress 2023, Canada's largest humanities and social sciences conference, is being held this weekend and continues to June 2nd at York University. I'm Glenn Perkins for The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Kevin Frankish is next with the hands-on firefighting experience for high school students. Gender equity has made some incredible inroads in various occupations, such as in engineering, medicine, policing. However, there is one sector that no matter how hard they try, getting girls interested in the service is difficult. I'm talking about the fire service. Richmond Hill Fire and Emergency Services is out to try and change this with a program called Project Blaze. Chief Brian Burbage joins me right now to talk about this. Hi, Brian. Hi, Kevin. Thanks very much for giving me a call. Tell me about Project Blaze. Project Blaze is a, this is our second year doing Project Blaze. It's a camp, a two and a half day camp that's available for uh, female or female identifying high school students that are going from grades nine to 12. Two and a half days, uh, fully involved camp as we describe it because they're involved in fire suppression, fire prevention, uh, communications, our administration team, our training team. And all, all aspects of the fire service, the participants can be involved in. So uh, mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity for, for the students. What do you think it is, Brian? Because I know this has been something for years. I know uh, fire services quite often have trouble in two areas recruiting members. Uh, one is in visible minorities. The other is with women. Is it just that we have, there is such a, a, a stigma attached to it being a male occupation? Or what is it? Well, I think that that uh, former stigma is is certainly there. Um, there is opportunities now for females, but when we see it on TV, when we see it in the movies, it's traditionally a, a male-dominated role. But uh, yeah, Project Blaze is our opportunity to change that for generations to come. What would you like parents to know, too? And, and what age are you targeting? The target group is uh, those students from grades 9 to 12 that are going into the fall semester of 2023. So that's the age group that we're trying to, to attract at this point. Um, you know, in future years, we might we might go down a little bit lower than that in the uh, primary school age groups, or we might even go to the college age groups, too. Maybe it's, it's something, too, that parents, even of younger kids, 
can be saying, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and whatever they say is, well, have you ever thought about being a firefighter or, or working with a, a fire service? And, and exactly. And we're trying to, to attract people to the trade. Um, and, you know, if I could say anything to the parents is don't discourage any opportunity that a child wants to be. Tell them that they can do anything that they want, and, and especially uh, females in the fire service. Now, of course, there's going to be the old curmudgeons out there saying, oh, how can I, you know, they can't carry all this. I will tell you personally, I've been to firefighter challenges. And if anybody's ever been to a firefighter challenge, these, these are, oh my gosh, they put people through their paces. And I have seen women do just as well as men in these things and carrying the big hose packs and carrying the, the dummies that they have to carry and, 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 and running with the full gear on. So, you know, women who are in shape can do as well as a man who is in shape. Absolutely. Um, we have some uh, amazing staff members here that I would put up against uh, any of the firefighters at any time. So our staff are, are tremendous. They're in shape. They can do just a, the same job as anybody else. And even with that, though, too, Kevin, it's a team, right? Our, our, our crews respond as a team. So um, we benefit from others' personal strengths and weaknesses. And we can, we can you know, certainly uh, any job is not too small for us. And it's not just the actual firefighting itself. There's there's working in communications, investigations, inspections, and public education. All, all you name it, any 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 part of the fire service, we would uh, certainly, you know, show the the, the candidates um, that part of the process, uh, that part of the the job, and it's it's just a great opportunity for them to see everything. So for young ladies going into grade ten or so, what are the requirements? What should they be looking for? In the program itself, uh, A is to have a positive attitude. Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking for that. The physical condition is, is we want people to be able to do the job, but we can certainly train people to do that job. Um, be available for all three days of the program, and uh, they need to have safety footwear. Um, and again, the, the attitude is everything. We can teach the firefighting. And as they go into school, what courses should they be looking at? The typical high school courses are good. I think uh, the career... Um, the fire service career prep courses at the college require biology and some of the sciences, but uh, just make sure good grades and, and again, the good attitude. So, All right. If you want more information, you can contact Shannon Godward, who, by the way, is a woman, and she is uh, your public education officer. She is, and Shannon does a great job in, in organizing this event as well as many others. And, uh, yes, she can be contacted through our city webpage or her email or the phone number that I provided. All right. So once again, that's 905-780-2897. Shannon Godward, S-H-A-N-Y-N, uh, period, Godward, G-O-D-W-A-R-D, at richmondhill.ca. We're going to put all this information on our socials. And, um, yeah, let's uh, let's get some some young ladies interested in a really exciting career. It is. It's an awesome career. If you missed any part of the feed, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you so much for listening.